watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to A Pirate's Life for Me on the Sports Objective. Join us every Friday at noon as we catch up with a member of Pirate Nation. Here's your host, Bubba Rosenbaum. What's going on, Pirate Nation? Welcome into another edition of A Pirate's Life for Me here on the Sports Objective. And today we're talking East Carolina Pirate football, as I am very excited to be joined by former East Carolina offensive lineman Sean Bailey. Sean, we appreciate your time. Welcome in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we're less than three weeks until the Pirates will travel to the big house to take on the Michigan Wolverines, who are ranked second nationally and obviously coming off back-to-back playoff appearances so quite the opener for East Carolina but uh, before we talk about the here and now as well as your time uh, in the program from 2016 to 2021 uh, just take us back I know you were born in New York but then you moved to the state of Georgia what about 40 minutes northeast of Atlanta coming Georgia uh, when you were what just a few years old yeah I was like four or five when we moved down there so um, tell us about your, your childhood and the, the sports that you love the most in addition to football. I know you lettered in track for four years, um, but were you pretty much playing everything growing up? Uh, growing up, played baseball, football, um, briefly tried lacrosse, uh, wrestled a little bit when I was really young. And then when I got to middle school, was just track and football. And then high school was football, track, and briefly wrestling again. So as it pertains to football, um, were you always a, a lineman or or was that growth, was that growth spurt, you know, a, a little bit later after you'd already played the game at another position? No, nah, I was always uh, I was always a lineman. I was always the bigger guy on the team. I never really had a choice. <laughs> so um, so playing the game, um, you know, starting with your high school career. Um, playing there at Lambert High School, like I mentioned, in Cumming, Georgia, about 40 minutes northeast of Atlanta. Um, just talk about your uh, high school career. Give us a, a brief uh, bio, if you will, and then um, your recruitment there in your junior and senior seasons, because I know in addition to East Carolina, you um, were recruited heavily by Cincinnati and Purdue, and then also several other ACC and SEC programs. Uh, yeah, Um Freshman year of high school, I didn't play too much. But then after that, I saw a lot of starting time at tackle. Um, my junior year, I ended up committing to Cincinnati and then didn't really hear anything from any other schools until after my senior season had ended. And at that point, a bunch of schools started talking to me, got a couple of offers, and then took my visit to East Carolina and uh, kind of fell in love with it. And then that was the uh, – that was kind of the determining factor. <laughs> yeah, looking at the, the timeline, um, your freshman year in 2016, uh, so I guess Cincinnati, uh, you've been recruited by what, Coach Tuberville and his staff? Uh, yes, sir. And then uh, who ha- who handled your recruitment for East Carolina? Obviously, that was as the program was going from Ruffin McNeil to uh, Scotty Montgomery. Cheap uh, Wade handled the day-to-day, but Coach Mo made a visit down to my school as well. 
So wh- what was it um, as you were making that decision on East Carolina? Um, so many players, you know, talk about the fan base and the tremendous game day environment. Uh, what was it that sold you on East Carolina? So I actually took my visit in, I believe, January, early January. So I didn't get to see any home games, but um, I grew up in SEC country. So I knew I wanted to go to a school in a college town. Greenville fit that perfectly. Um, on my visit itself, the guys on the team, Garrett McGinn, Eric Lindzen, Des Barmore, Joe Carter, Bo Huffman, those were all the guys I was hanging on my vi- uh, official visit. Had a blast with them, really got along with them well. Um, and then there was the idea of early playing time at tackle, which I wanted to do. Uh, it didn't really work out that way, but um, that was a nice idea for me. And all those kind of came together to uh, get me to flip. Yeah, Coach Jeep Wade, I believe he's actually there in, in Atlanta now as an office line coach at Georgia Tech, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir, but, he just got the tech job. Yeah, um, with, with that new staff coming in, I mean, uh, obviously uh, interim basis last year uh, after they made that change. Um, and then I knew he had also been at App State recently prior to coming to uh, Georgia Tech. But uh, and talk about those first few years in the program. Um, redshirted in 2016, played in a couple games in 2017, and then really, um, you know, played a little more significantly in 2018. Uh, yeah, this first, uh, definitely the first year was really rough. It was a big adjustment. My high school didn't pass the ball too much. So learning how to pass block was um, kind of a, a learning curve. Uh, like I said, I was going to hopefully play early. So I was taking reps with the uh, starters and second string guys. And my first one-on-one was against a guy named Dayon Pratt, who ended up playing for the Texans. And he was past me before I got out of my stance on the first day of practice. So that was a rude awakening and kind of set the tone for my redshirt <laughs> year. It's a lot of learning and then just kind of piecing it together a little more and more. got an opportunity to get some snaps towards the end of games and then uh, kept trying to build on that until uh, I got my chance. So following that 2018 season, um, the administration chose to go in another direction, um, parting ways with Coach Mo, um, obviously the staff that had recruited you. Uh, you had Mike Houston, who had so much success at James Madison, as well as other programs. Um, and he was bringing back what was a familiar face to the East Carolina program uh, in Coach Steve Shankweiler. So uh, tell us about that transition and uh, Coach Shank coming in. And I know one of the things that Coach Houston stated immediately was how he was intending to upgrade things in the trenches and really commit to running the football. And uh, tell us about that process. Uh, it was a huge culture shock. Um, I love Coach Shank. He's definitely uh, my guy. But um, his first week there was a little rough. He uh, had us do introduction meetings, and we had to go meet with him one-on-one. And the first thing he said to me was, uh, we're rebuilding, and you're an older guy who hasn't played. So if you don't get on the field this year, you're probably going to have to find a new place to play. By the way, I'm Coach Shankweiler. And it kind of went from there. It was uh, kind of a scared straight thing. It really uh, got me in gear. And um, I learned so much from him, really learned a lot of great habits, learned the game better, learned defenses better, and really just took off from there. You did that uh, in that 2019 season. 
uh, first year of the Mike Houston era. You started eight games at right guard uh, before mm-hmm. suffering an injury late in that season. And that was, even though it was a four and eight season and, um, and we did suffer defeats to the better teams on the schedule, you could tell the program was headed in the right direction and it was just going to be a matter of time until, um, until it got to where we all wanted it to get to. Yeah, absolutely. We felt that way in the locker room too. Um, just the way the staff handled things and uh, trying to get wins together with um, the shape of the program. It, they did a really good job. They worked us in the shape. They cut some of the fat and uh, they got us going in the right direction. You talk about what Coach Shanks said to you individually in your, in your meeting. Um, you know, what was – how was that presented um, the, as far as the mentality and the style of practice and um, just the commitment to running the football and the commitment to physicality uh, you know, compared to the to uh, how things have been done previously? Um, Shank's an older, older gentleman, but he has a lot of energy. So he was moving around right with us all practice. We, uh, we never stopped. I know uh, Alex Turner had hinted to it in your earlier episodes, but uh, – practice was constant go 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 you got water when you could but you were working the whole time uh we were, we were hitting each other we were hitting the sled we were uh, hitting each other again it was a very violent period and it was a uh, was a good time yeah no doubt um certainly you know you hear the stories of the you know, the first day of contact drills with the with the Oklahoma and you know things of that nature. The inside run periods on Coach Houston uh, always references that in his post practice remarks, especially in those first few days of uh, full pad practices. And um, you know, one of the things that you, know, you saw, you know, going in to from 2019 to 2020, just slowly but surely, we were becoming more efficient at running the football. And I know you, after playing or starting eight games at right guard in 2019, uh, you started uh, also a game at left guard. And so talk about that uh, flexibility and being able to, to play either or. Well, uh, Shank always preached that the best of best ability is availability. So we learned both sides in practice. Multiple guys learn multiple positions. Uh, Fernando Fry is an example. He started at center. He started at left guard. He started at right guard and got tackle reps when he needed to. Um, we were all just trained to play everything in case the worst happened and we had to go in. So the right guard to left guard switch was a very minor thing to tackle compared to uh, what some of the other guys had to do. And you, you hear, um, be it Coach Shank or um, you know other all offensive line coaches, excuse me, around the country. I know Coach Ruffin McNeil used to always use the use the expression, um, you know, function function as um, a nickel rather than five pennies. So just give the average fan that may not know that much about offensive line play you know what it's like, uh, all the reps that it takes with the walkthroughs, the film study, uh, just coming together um, to, um, you know, to, to function as one. Uh, yeah, I think the best way to kind of sh- shed light on how all five guys have to work as one is the way Coach Shank had it was everybody on the offensive line was responsible for a piece of information. So the guards were responsible for signaling how many guys were down linemen versus how many guys were linebackers. 
The tackles were responsible for alerting any perimeter threats. The center was responsible for declaring who or which double teams are supposed to work to who, who was responsible for which, which protection we were going to block. And it was a lot of information that was completely dependent on the guy next to you. And you weren't able to do your job unless that guy held up his end. In that 2020 season, um, unfortunately, because of COVID, um, like many teams around the country, not able to play the, the full 12 games, the Pirates were able to play nine and, um, some, you know, really frustrating defeats in there. You know, the, the Navy game, the Tulsa game, and that was absolutely taken from us with the bad calls there in the final couple minutes, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, Scott Van Pelt um, <laughs> pointing that out on bad beats on ESPN. But um, from early on in that season, uh, when we were defeated soundly down at Georgia State to the what was the final game of the year, game nine against SMU, when we put up what forty-five points or something in the first half, yeah, <laughs> just um, talk about really from point A to point B right there, and um, because SMU uh, they were right on the verge of being a top twenty-five team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that year is kind of a blur. There was so much crazy stuff going on, but I do you remember the Georgia State game? Um, back in my home area, I had a bunch of my friends there, a bunch of my high school coaches there. And it just didn't go our way from the jump. And then after the game, we kind of all felt like we're better than this. Like we have so much more that we can do. And then kind of just everyone rebought in and then kept growing. And then you could feel it each week that we were getting slowly better, better, better. And the end result came in the SMU game where we uh, beat the brakes off them. <laughs> yeah, that was quite the first half. Definitely one of the, the better first halves or better halves period that I've seen an East Carolina team play. I want to say it was something like 45 to seven or, or something along those lines at halftime. But um, despite the three and six record, uh, you really felt like things. I mean, we were, like I mentioned, very close to being five and four, or six and three and uh, going to a bowl that season. So going into 2021, um, very high expectations and, you guys were able to deliver on those uh, going seven and five and uh, able to produce the first 1,000-yard rusher uh, in Keaton Mitchell. He ran for a little over 1,100 yards that season uh, before running for 1,400-plus a year ago in 2022. But uh, I know that's something you guys, um, guys like yourself, Fernando Fry, Noah Henderson, Justin Chase, have to take a lot of pride in uh, because that was the first time we'd had an 1,000-yard rusher since Ventavious Cooper way back in 2013. Yeah, absolutely. It's always nice when the guys in the backfield get success. It makes us feel good. And then it helps when the guys are as awesome as Keith Mitchell or Raja Harris, who just take care of us, don't think it's all them. They acknowledge that uh, O-Lyman have a piece in it, and they really share the uh, accomplishment with us, which was an amazing feeling. Plus, uh, it's really nice having gifted guys like that who can make up for your mistakes if you happen to miss a block. But um they definitely earned every inch of those yardage and um, it was a really exciting time to be an offensive lineman with backs like that. And not to go too far down a a rabbit hole and uh, deviate from um, what we're discussing, but uh, something that came to mind, um, I'm sure you guys, you know, went out to eat as a position group and um, that perhaps Holton or, 
um, Keaton Mitchell, et cetera, may, may take care of you guys um, for the for the holes you opened up and the protection uh, provided for Holton. But I, I know last year, you know, with the NIL being part of things, uh, how jealous were you perhaps um, that those guys were able to benefit with the wings over Greenville? <laughs> oh, I was still living with an offensive lineman, so I got okay. a little bit of that love. There but, you go. Um, yeah, I mean, offensive linemen, we're not going to get the big deal, so I'm not too, uh, not too jealous. It's I'm glad to see that they're getting some compensation for all their hard work, but um, not nothing crazy. They still get to play the game. That's what I'm more jealous about. During your time, you know, who could uh, who could down the most wings? Probably Demarcus Shaw or Fernando Fry. Just curious because I know a good family friend of ours who played way back in the the mid seventies, early seventies uh, under Sonny Randall. Uh, he was telling my dad and I stories about how he and the teammates would go to Parker's Barbecue and that uh, they would eat so much food of family style. They would get they, they would get cut off. And they said, you can take them all the corn sticks and hush puppies they want <laughs> and, and all the sweet tea, but no, no more chicken and barbecue. Yeah, O-Lyman can definitely eat. We used to have cookouts here and there together and we would tear through those giant 50 burger boxes from Sam's Club. Um I mean, 300-pound guys burning three to 4,000 calories a day. They got to eat a lot of food to make up that. So they uh, they can put some food down. <laughs> but thinking about your years in the program, uh, what are some games that come to mind as far as, as, far as ones that uh, really stand out for one reason or another? Uh, obviously, when I, when I think of your senior season, um, that game at Memphis where we became bowl eligible, um, really stands out because uh, you guys uh, dominated that day, even though it didn't show on the scoreboard, um, really moved the ball up and down the field and uh, had your way with that Memphis defense um, uh, for a bigger part of that game. And then we found a way to win it late. Uh, Yeah, the Memphis game was the first thing that came to mind when you actually brought up that point. Uh, At that point in the year, I had a very nagging foot injury. So I was kind of on emergency rep duty. And I wasn't playing too much, but uh, later in the game, uh, I believe Nashad or Justin Chase, one of the two of them had something going on. So I had to go in and just being a part of that overtime drive, the fourth quarter drives where uh, Rajay broke it to the end zone and uh, made us bowl eligible. That was one of the best feelings I've ever experienced. It really felt like it made everything worth it. All the stuff that, my class and the guys above me had to go through to get us to that point. It finally all felt like it was uh, well worth the wait, well worth all the pain, everything. That got us to six and four on the following week. We traveled to Annapolis and uh, what a memorable game that was. Um, it was a tell of two halves um, <laughs> with, with neither team stopping the other in uh, the first half. And then the second half, there was a little more defense played. But um, and then Owen Daffer came through with the big kick and um, you know, put it right down the middle from uh, 54 yards out or whatever it was. Yeah, that game was nuts. Um, that was another one. I found out I was going to start that game five minutes before the game started. And then we hit the ground running. Um, once you get in these things, you don't really remember specific moments from that game. But I remember being in the second half like, all right. 
we just got to keep going because no one's stopping anybody. <laughs> we got to get this done. And with an offense like that, they can just kill clock. I, I think we had like nine minutes left in the game and it was all tied up. And I was like, they could drain this entire clock right here with this offense. And luckily we got to stop. We got back out there and then uh, Owen got to uh, drill the kick that got us a seven wins. Yep, right after the the big catch by Tyler Sneed on that post route. I think it was yep. a, a crit- critical third down. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, just a, it's very unfortunate. To obviously, you guys traveled to Annapolis for the military bowl, and then you know whatever that was. Um, you know, most folks thought that it was Boston College trying to get out of playing a game more so than them truly being that impacted by COVID. But um, if nothing else, um. You can take pride in knowing um, that even though you didn't get to play the game, that that you and all those uh, veterans, um, that some of which you know finished up their careers last year, guys like Miles Berry, Xavier Smith, et cetera, um, transformed the program from a, a three-win program to um, back back to being a bowl team. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we definitely felt accomplished going into that week. And uh, for sure, the seniors, myself included, we were heartbroken that we didn't get to play that final game. Um, kind of sucks when you don't know that your time is done. And then the Cincinnati game was our last game, and we didn't even know it. Um, there's something nice in that, that we got to do it at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, go out at on senior night. But um, definitely wish we would have got to play that game, especially after practicing for the three weeks leading up to it. But um, it did feel like there was a little bit more that we could have done that year, but we just didn't get a chance to show it. During your time in Greenville, uh, I know you majored in uh, health and fitness specialist. Um, and so now uh, we'll dive into uh, what you're doing uh, currently in just a few minutes. But, uh, you know, what are your, some of your memories um, off the field at East Carolina, whether it was – now your classes as you're pursuing that degree, as I mentioned, in, in health, fitness, uh, specialty? Um, I mean, I want to say this as respectfully as I can. Class is class. Not really too many things that are going to stick out to you for years to come. But um, greatest memories of East Carolina was definitely hanging out with the guys. Um, you hear people say it all the time, but the best part about college football is hanging out with your friends. You're together for 12, 15 hours a day just getting to do what you love to do, getting the train together, just sitting there in meetings, watching film together, playing together, practicing together. It's just, that's the best part about it. And those are always the memories that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Yeah. You always hear most guys say that they don't miss the five and 6 a.m. workouts, but they definitely do miss the time in the locker room and um, then the, the time going out to eat and, you know, hanging out. Absolutely. So, so, so moving on from East Carolina, um, you've had the chance to, you know, advance your career very quickly as you're currently the strength <laughs> coach for, for Olympic sports at Division II Federal State, just a couple hours down the road, not even from Greenville. So uh, tell us about your path, um, you know, prior to getting that job and, you know, what you've done professionally uh, over these last couple years. Uh, yeah, so about 10 days after that military bowl got canceled, I started GAing at East Carolina for uh, the strength conditioning program under Coach Williams and um, started out with uh, helping with football, helping with baseball, and then running the cheerleading and dance team workouts 
And then as the year went on and then football season ended, we uh, had two full-time coaches leave and I inherited all their teams in the spring. So I was working with a majority of Olympic sports and still helping out with football. And then that kind of helped my resume a little bit. And then um, the got all the help I could from the strength coaches at East Carolina. And then another former pirate coach, uh, Richard Koontz is at uh, Fayetteville state and he's run the football strength conditioning program. And we kind of connected. And then that's what kind of led me to this position where I'm uh, running the strength conditioning for the Olympic sports at Fayetteville state. Nice. Um, Definitely familiar with Richard Koontz. We've had him on the podcast uh, multiple times. Um, former East Carolina strength and conditioning coach, who I'm sure Richard may have uh, shared with you if you're not familiar with him yourself, um, Jeff Connors, who had yeah. two two stints at East Carolina. Um, I had Coach C. Well, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, <laughs> during the during the coach Coach Mo years. Sorry, uh, yes, yeah, you, you, you had him for, you had him for three years. So I remember yeah, what, Coach C's workouts. <laughs> what, yeah, what what are some of your best memories of uh, Coach C? Uh, those guys from back in the '90s always talk about the 300s. I know uh, Coach Mo. Um, would not allow Coach C to do some of the things he wanted to do. But, uh, you know, what what were some of your top memories of uh, training those three years under Coach C? Um, well, we had a freshman developmental lift. And because um, I wasn't playing as much as I would have liked to, I got the opportunity to do the developmental lift for three years in a row. And so I got to see Coach C at 6 a.m. every single day for three years. And... Um, Definitely got much stronger, hopefully got a little bit faster, but um, I remember those. I remember our power units that always seem to happen right after the 4th of July, which is a hellish run that we all hated, but uh, always managed to get through it. And uh, I remember every Friday morning, he would have a member of the military come in and speak to us, and they would tell us about trusting your teammates, being accountable, all these life lessons that we were learning in football and seeing how it was applicable in the real world. And that really stood out to me. And I tried to take a lot of that with me after that uh, meeting ended. Yeah, Coach C, um, he does a great job with his podcast on our platform here, uh, Absolute Empowerment, each and every Monday night at 7 o'clock. Um, you know, most recently for our listeners, uh, if you've missed his episodes with First-round draft pick, uh, linebacker Robert Jones from the 1991 team, and then also George Koontz, uh, who had a, about a decade career with the Green Bay Packers. Definitely go back and check those out. But um, you know, what, what were some of the biggest takeaways, um, be it from Coach C and Coach um, you know, Big John Williams, uh, that, that you've been able to apply to uh, your coaching there at Fayetteville State? Well, I had uh, Coach Williams uh, second for my uh, more professional years, and then I trained under him as an intern and as a GA. So I would say that pretty much my coaching philosophy is shaped after his, and the lessons I've learned from him directly impact my um, coaching of athletes at Fayetteville State. So I'm working with men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, track and field, cross country, and bowling, and men's golf. Bowling, that's interesting. <laughs> They're a good group. They're very smart. 
They're all on the academic wall. How many people are on a, a bowling team? About eight. So I haven't met with them yet because uh, I've only been here in July. So I've only had the guys that were here during the summer, but I haven't had the full slate of athletes yet. Gotcha. I was just kind of, I was guessing that it was probably like tennis or golf, something like that. Yeah, it could be. I'll, I'll find out very soon. <laughs> so um, kind of shifting gears a bit, uh, something that I had heard about, um, you know, going back to that Cincinnati game, um, the final final game of your pirate career. Um, that day, um, you know, it was well documented in what your dad had done as a first responder uh, going back to 9-11 and the, the tragedy with the Twin Towers. I know you were only a year or two old, but uh, and it kind of realized you broke up there. I didn't hear you. Um, as you as you aged and got to an age, you know where you would understand uh, that situation. Um, if you if you would um, tell us some of those conversations that you and your dad had about that tragedy. Um, growing up, it was always the, uh, the rated G version. He would kind of show me his helmet and show me things he found while he was digging, like some postcards and this bottle of perfume he found. And he kind of talked about his buddies, but didn't go into too much detail. And then my, he'd always come in and talk to my classes on 9-11 and do the same thing. And then my junior high school, in U.S. history, Coach Skeen's class, he came in and talked to us and decided that that was the day that we get the rated R version. And he just told everything. And it was so mind-blowing and just – it you everybody was tearing up. It was – the stuff that they went through and are still continuing to deal with was awful. And then seeing it now and how it's still affecting him, and now it's just now that the rated R version has been out there, it's just every day I'm around him. He'll just kind of tell me something new. And it's like, Oh crap, you are, uh, you went through that. All right. He, uh, he's definitely seen a lot, but he is always trying to do what's best for me. He's always putting a smile on my face. He, uh, even with all the health complications that have came with it, he's never let it stop him. He's still out there doing yard work every day in the 90 degree heat because he's not going to let it stop him from being him. And it's kind of been a huge drive in my personal life, trying to be the best I can be because he's got every excuse in the world to just sit around all day, but he won't take it. He'll continue to push himself to do new things and try new things and go out of his way to move mountains for me to be able to do what I want to do. And it's extremely inspiring. I can only imagine um, here a little over a month ago, my son and I had the chance to go up to Middletown, Connecticut. And uh, during those few days we spent up there in the Northeast, um, the first day uh, we, we traveled down to New York City and um, had the chance to, to go to the Freedom Tower. And then um, Ground Zero didn't, unfortunately, ran out of time, didn't have an opportunity to go to the, the uh, 9-11 Museum. Um, but is that something, have, have you had the chance to go there to the Ground Zero and the museum? Uh, we we don't get up there much. We went up there my junior year of college for Christmas to see family, and I was trying to get him to go over there with me. But um, he kept saying that, oh, we got to do this, we got to do that, and I uh, just didn't get around to it. 
but um, ho I'm hoping that's something that we can experience together in the future. But um, recently in, um, I'm blanking on what town it is, but in North Carolina, uh, Tunnel to Towers has a mobile World Trade Center museum that they take around the country and it stops in, um, let me pull this up. Are you thinking, sure I, get this right. I, I know um, the, the mobile, the concept that you referenced, uh, I experienced that down in Southport, about 30 minutes south, yeah, of, Southport, south of Wilmington. Southport. Yep, that's the town. That was actually two or three summers ago I saw that, and just seeing that uh, mobile exhibit, um, certainly uh, very emotional for, for myself. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been told that it comes there every year, so we uh, went and checked it out. And they do a really good job. They have a lot of interesting artifacts in there. Uh, getting to experience it with him was really special. They have a, a wall of the fallen. So he went over there and started finding his friends and was telling me a, a story about each of them. And um, I don't know, I guess in some way it was nice for him to see their memories still alive. And uh, it, overall, it was a very peaceful experience. Kind of shifting gears back to uh, to more pleasant topics. Um, as you look long term, uh, do, do you see yourself likely staying in strength and conditioning, or do you perhaps want to be an on the field coach? Uh, strength conditioning has always been my uh, my goal. I, when my dad actually first got sick when I was in high school, uh, my strength conditioning coaches in high school were excellent, and they really helped me get through that time in my life by showing me how hard work can help me in other aspects. And at that point, my goal was to just play good. So like my dad had something to watch on Friday nights and um, their help in that time period of my life kind of uh, showed me that I wanted to do this moving forward so I could give back to the next generation of athletes. So I actually came into college wanting to do this and then was always planning on interning and GAing at East Carolina. And I got to do that, which was an amazing, like, accomplishment of a goal. And then this position I have now, I never thought I was going to get coming out of a GA spot. But um, it the stars aligned, and I got this amazing opportunity. So I'm planning on taking it and running with it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I was very excited for you. But at the same time, like you said, a little surprise. And I was like – uh, he, um, you know, moved up very quickly, but uh, ex exciting. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, that was a fun phone call to give to tell my dad. Um, yeah, we're pumped up. It's nice where I'm very close to him and still close to my friends that are living around North Carolina. So it's great to stay around here. North Carolina's kind of became my home. So it's nice staying in the home state and uh, being close to everybody. Actually, uh, past Federal State, um, back in the spring, I um, went to watch East Carolina play baseball against Campbell at Segra Stadium. And uh, you know, the, there with the campus, you know, kind of snuck up on me, ha having not been there before. And then and then uh, looked to my left, and, and then it was your football stadium. Yeah, it's a, it's a great campus. It's uh, Everyone there has been phenomenal. They've been very welcoming, um, helped me out. Pretty much uh, anything I've needed, they've found a way to get it for us to keep the program run well and uh, really excited to get into these seasons and see how these athletes perform. And before we um, – a couple more questions um, before we wrap this up. I appreciate you spending a little over a half hour with us Absolutely. tonight. And um, 
And I think about uh, here recently, um, the NFL's preseason games getting cranked up. Um, Holt Naylor's uh, doing well for Seattle. Keaton Mitchell did some nice things for the Ravens last night. Uh, Ryan Jones had a catch uh, for, for the Giants. And, um, you know, some of those guys that you played with in the in the trenches or within, or at least in the program um, during your career, guys like Noah Henderson and then also Deontay Smith um, doing big things for the Cincinnati Bengals. So, um, it's great to see so many pirates in the pros, and uh, I know uh, you have to take a lot of pride in you know seeing those guys that you played with do well at the next level. Yeah, definitely. Uh, two more of them will also be Garrett McGinn and Fernando Fry. They are uh, playing in the XFL right now. Just all seven of those guys have always been the hardest workers in the room, so seeing their hard work pay off has always been an amazing feeling to watch them continue to grow and play the game that we love and accomplish all the goals they said they wanted to accomplish. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up regarding Garrett. I'd seen recently that he was still playing, uh, but I was not aware of um, Fernando, but that's that's great news. So what a story that was, you know, from playing small college football, came to East Carolina because of his girlfriend, uh, and then uh, he said he really came with no intentions of playing playing any more football, and then he ended up playing, what, three years? Yeah, he – uh he kind of showed up one day and then kept working his tail off and eventually became a two-time team captain and started at multiple positions and just overall Mr. Pirate, great guy. Uh, he was one of my roommates and one of my best friends. I uh, still talk to him pretty much every day. He helped me move. He's, uh, he's awesome. I'm really pumped to see that he still gets to play football. <laughs> Final thing I have for you, obviously, and with you being a strength coach, I'm sure you love to love to work out. But outside of that, um, I was reading on on your bio on ecupirates.com that um, that you really enjoy fishing, hiking, camping. You know, um, what are you have any good stories or you know, or, or maybe uh, trips or maybe even bucket list uh, places that you like to go to do those things. Well, that bio was written when I was in high school, and I had a lot more time back then to do those things. So I guess my bucket list would be to pick back up. Um, Other than very quick, spontaneous hiking trips, I haven't really gotten a chance to take too many, and I have not been fishing or camping since high school. So I'm excited to be able to do that again now that uh, my playing days are done. And uh, yeah, the bucket list would be to resume those things. And the Pirates, like I mentioned here, in just a, over two weeks as we're we're recording this um, on a Sunday, but then um, this will air um, just over two weeks out on, on Friday. And so uh, with, with the Pirates traveling up to the big house, then they have Marshall, App State, a very challenging start of the season. But, um, you know, if a couple things can get answered successfully, then I like our chances for going to a third straight bowl. Absolutely. Um, You've seen it over the history of ECU. Whenever there's a big challenge, we always rise to the occasion. So um, it is a tough out-of-conference schedule, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we shock a lot of people and do a lot of big things in that time period. And for our viewers, as you see there on the screen, the Pirate Club obviously supporting ECU athletics in the way of um, providing student athletes uh, like Sean athletic scholarships. 
So, Sean, if you were talking to Pirate fans out there, you know, whether they're an alum of East Carolina or just a Pirate fan um, and want to support the program, and uh, as someone who received uh, an athletic scholarship for all those years, you know, what, what would you say to, you know, ECU fans and uh, alumni? Thank you to all your support over the years. Uh, Y'all really changed lives by giving scholarships to these athletes, myself included. Um, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have a scholarship in terms of college. And just continue doing what y'all are doing. Keep supporting the boys. We really appreciate it. And y'all change lives. No doubt. Uh, very well said. And um, Pirate Nation continues to, to make a difference. And uh, is the reason so many student athletes uh, choose East Carolina University. But, uh, again, appreciate the time, Sean. Um, uh, have enjoyed having you on. Best of luck in your career there at Federal State, and I uh, would love to have you back on sometime down the road to talk some Pirate football. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Pirate Nation, that is former offensive lineman Sean Bailey from 2016 to 2021 and current strength and conditioning coach at Division II Federal State University. Be sure to follow us on social media on X at the Sports OBJ, on Instagram and TikTok at the Sports Objective. Like and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Until next time, I'm Bob Rosenbaum. You've been watching and listening to A Pirate's Life for me on the Sports Objective. Take care, and as always, go Pirates. Have a good one. Watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates.